Welcome to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives. I'm your host, Kevin Green. Today, we have industry experts with their insights and perspectives on the latest cybersecurity news and impacts your agency and organization. Today, we have George Kurtz, President and CEO at CrowdStrike. Good day, George. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining our podcast. I think we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. I saw a very interesting uh, topic that was discussed at RSA. It was entitled IOCs are dead. Long live IOCs. You have been very vocal regarding a new concept or a different concept called indicators of attack, technically and strategically. What's the value add in shifting to this focus for today's evolving threats? What do you think is the the value add in shifting to this focus? Well, I think what's important first is to think about the concept of an IOC, uh, indicator of compromise. So by definition, you've already been compromised. So it's really a, a rearward-facing indicator to try to show that you've you know, detected something after the compromise. Um, an IOC by itself is not bad. You can use them forensically. Uh, we support them at CrowdStrike. Lots of people still use them. Um, but again, it's very reactive. So when we think about indicators of attack, we're really talking about attack behaviors um, that can be monitored, that can be linked together to really understand the attack as it's unfolding, as it's happening, so you can prevent it while it's in process as opposed to after the fact trying to clean up against it. Um, so from a preventive and uh, a very forward-leaning perspective, IOAs, we believe, are the future. Um, IOCs will not go away, but it's another fancy term for a signature, and at the end of the day, you're just looking to see if you've been compromised. can be helpful. Um, certainly is part of an overall hygiene strategy when we think about security, uh, but it isn't as proactive as an indicator of attack designed to identify and stop the attack at its origin point uh, as opposed to after the fact. Good point. But, you know, here's the problem, I think. I think a lot of organizations are still focusing on IOC. So the question I would like to ask is, which is a follow-up question is, What's a good game plan for transitioning from IOCs to IOAs, IOA mentality? Well, I think it's one of those areas where, you know, I don't see an IOC uh, going away, if you will, right? It's one of those things that uh, will be around uh, and people are going to continue to look for them uh, in the future. When we think about IOAs, that's one of the things that we pioneered at CrowdStrike with our, our Falcon Host technology. Uh, and again, that's really focused on leveraging what we call our threat graph to be able to identify billions of disparate events, kind of pull them together and look for attack patterns. So I think uh, whether, you know, somebody's using our technology or someone else's, they need to really understand is it is it uh, something that's going to identify these attack patterns in real time uh, as opposed to after the fact. So, um, you know, again, good hygiene would mean that you would use both, and, and we certainly support both from a forensic perspective. Um, but I think it's something that people need to be thinking about, you know, being more proactive as opposed to just scanning reactively uh, for IOCs. George, I think, you know, I was reading something the other day, and I, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Uh, it was talking about threat intelligence, in particular, obviously, external data can be overrated if you don't have a firm grasp of situation awareness in your environment. A lot of what's going on in the federal government, uh, there's a lot of information about threat intelligence and how to build your your information uh, sharing environment, so forth and so on. So one of the questions I would like to ask you, what advice would you give to federal CISOs to enrich their overall intelligence relating to cyber threats? 
Well, that's a uh, that's a good question and a, an area we spend a lot of time on at, at CrowdStrike. Uh, obviously, we've got a pretty big Intel team and, and supply a lot of the top companies with intelligence. And when we when we talk about security intelligence, we really need to define that. And this is where I think a lot of CISOs uh, can get caught up. And that is an indicator feed by itself is not security intelligence. An indicator feed is just that, an indicator feed. And unfortunately, lots of indicator feeds that have IP addresses and domain names and file hashes, they really don't have uh, the, the context of why it's good or why it's bad, uh, primarily why it's bad, how long it's been bad, what it's actually been doing. So when we think about threat intelligence, what I would encourage um, CISOs to be thinking about is, is more of a finished intelligence product. It certainly can have indicators, but uh, the approach that we take uh, and I think which lines up with uh, the way the U.S. government, as an example, thinks about security, is really looking at specific geographies, actors within those geographies, and then campaigns. Uh, so, example, and you know, we're we're pretty famous for for naming all these different groups. The pandas are in China, and the bears are in Russia, uh, and the kittens are in Iran, as as uh, as it goes. Um, but when we think about the groups, you know, we're trying to focus on the threat actors themselves, um, what they're interested in doing. Some threat actors are stealing intellectual property. Other threat actors are basically uh, perpetrating cybercrime, if you will. And then what we do is we follow up um, that threat actor intelligence with all of the relevant uh, TTPs, uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures associated with that threat actor group. Um, now, by having a finished intelligence product, well, what does that do? Well, it doesn't mean you're going after somebody in China or Russia or wherever, uh, but it does allow you to really prioritize uh, the attacks that you see and really helps uh, the limited resources that companies have and governments have to respond to them. So you can't respond necessarily to everything. You want to prioritize it. And if there is something that's uh, either a targeted attack or from one of the, the, the better-known threat actor groups, um, that's probably something you should put at the top of the pile uh, in terms of your response. The second piece of that is it really helps define and tell the story to upper management uh, around what that attack means. And, you know, if I if I said to uh, the audience, uh, you know, we've seen a company got hit by the Hydrac Trojan, that probably wouldn't mean too much. Uh, but if I further define that and said they got hit by Aurora Panda, which is the Aurora Group, same group that hit many of the large tech companies in 2010, um, that would be much more impactful because it really talks about the threat actor group, what they're interested in, how they operate, and why they're targeting you as a as a group, a company, an entity, uh, and what they're after. But more importantly, how you can um, shore up your defenses to deal with that particular threat. George, speaking of threats, what do you think is the best way to disrupt the kill chain? Um, the kill chain is an effective model because it really focuses on the fact that there isn't just one way to identify and prevent an attack, and there's multiple steps into a successful attack or breach. Um, and that's one of the areas that I always like to focus on with, with customers to explain that, uh, you know, stopping the breach is different than trying to just stop malware. And uh, even if you stopped 100% of uh, every piece of malware, which is technically impossible, there's no company on the planet that can do that, you wouldn't necessarily stop a breach. But by thinking about this from a kill chain perspective, which is actually what we do at CrowdStrike, um, you want to prevent and detect as much as you can uh, at, the, at the front of the kill chain, but realize something may ultimately hit your network or, or land on an endpoint 
and that's really where you want to have great visibility and monitoring so that uh, the threat actor or the breach, uh, you know, or the I should say the um, uh, the threat itself is not really exposed to your endpoints or network for a prolonged period of time. And that's really the concept that I, I talk about, which is no silent failure, right? We know across the kill chain, things like antivirus and firewalls and other technologies will fail. You just don't want them to fail silently. So if they fail on the front end of the kill chain, something does hit the endpoint, you want that visibility uh, to immediately see that and then be able to contain that threat uh, on the endpoint or within your network. Speaking of antivirus, what what role does antivirus play in today's threat environment? What role do you see it playing, if any, in today's threat environment? Well, we have to define antivirus because uh, when we think about antivirus in the classical sense, uh, kind of legacy antivirus, um, it is antiquated. Um, it does still play a role at this point in time, but signature-based, antiquated, obviously not dealing with the most sophisticated threats because it's easily evaded given its, its signature-based technology. Um, I think what's important to realize is kind of this next generation of antivirus, uh, again, something that uh, CrowdStrike is pioneering, which um, really looks across the spectrum of activities. You know, if you know it's bad, you certainly can block it, but how do you then deal with the, the unknown unknowns, right? Uh, being able to thwart exploitation or being able to behaviorally look for activities that don't require signatures, uh, like ransomware, uh, to be able to stop that. Uh, using things like machine learning, which we do as well, to be able to not only um, identify uh, malware, but also many of the attacks, really 60% of the attacks that you see today don't even use malware. Uh, and you want to be able to stop that sort of activity, right? So when we think about antivirus, we kind of think of that next generation of antivirus that's capable of going beyond signatures and identifying threats without uh, necessarily solely relying on signatures. And in addition to that, looking for activities, uh, breach activities that don't necessarily even use malware. Um, and a lot of the attacks that we see at CrowdStrike are using things like PowerShell, uh, or using existing tools, say, within the Windows environment to minimize the use of malware, minimize uh, their potential for actually being detected and shut down. And I think that's where uh, AV is evolving. Uh, and the second piece of that is architecturally, if you think about antivirus, it's, uh, I mean, it evolved in the 80s. It's, you know, uh, kind of heavy. It's, it has a server that lives on your, uh, on your network, and it's kind of disconnected. And we certainly believe, in, and again, something that we're pioneering is, is really cloud-based and cloud-delivered endpoint protection where all that kind of heavy lifting can be done in the cloud as opposed to uh, burdening the endpoint with um, superfluous activities. George, I know the new 2016 CrowdStrike security report is not out yet, but what are some of the things we, if you can share some of the things we may see in the new report, and also what can we expect from CrowdStrike in 2016? Well, we're constantly monitoring the adversary, and uh, we, we've, I think we've got about this point 170 different countries where we get security telemetry, almost 12 billion events per day. So we have a, a pretty good idea from those endpoints on, you know, what attacks are in the environment, how they're evolving, uh, more importantly, how the adversary is evolving and, and what they're trying to do to, to work around um, all security technology. So uh, the 2016 report will really focus on uh, what we see in the field. So it's kind of real live, you know, battle notes. Um, what the adversary is doing, how they're using PowerShell, how they're 
uh, trying to obfuscate their tracks, um, how they're defeating uh, sandbox technology as an example. We see a lot of malware and threats that are designed specifically to defeat existing sandbox technology um, as that's starting to uh, wane in terms of overall effectiveness. Looks like you guys got a lot of good things going on. Uh, George, it's been a great time talking to you. And hopefully we can, you know, especially in the federal government, continue to do things to improve our cyber capabilities. Hey, man, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Look forward to uh, our next session. Well, I think we have to wrap it up here. I want to thank our guest today, George Kurtz. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in to Cybersecurity Insights and Perspectives on FedScoot Radio with your host, Kevin Green. Until next time, peace.